Our text this morning is Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. As we continue in Luke's detailed account of the birth, life, ministry, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We looked last week at the announcement that the angel Gabriel gave to Zechariah the priest of the birth of the great forerunner of the Messiah, the one who would be John the Baptist. And now here this morning we have a similar sort of announcement. But it is an announcement not instead to a priest, but to a young girl. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. The word of the Lord is completely without error. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient for our life and faith. And the word of the Lord is completely authoritative over us. Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing is impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Let's pray together. O Heavenly Father, we ask, O Lord, this morning that you would use your word among us. That you would shape us and mold us by your word. 
that you would mold us into the image of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might be more and more like Jesus. Lord, we ask that by the power of your Spirit, you would convict us of sin, encourage us, and help us to know who you are and what duty you require of us. This we ask in the name above all names, the name of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, this is the second announcement in the Gospel of Luke. In many ways, this announcement is similar to the one that has gone before it. It is an announcement of the birth of a child. It is an announcement that comes from heaven by a herald of God, an angel. In fact, it is the same angel, the angel Gabriel. The same angel that spoke, as we looked last week, to the prophet Daniel. And who had told Daniel of a future time of redemption of the people of God. Of return from captivity of a building up of their kingdom, the kingdom of God that would never end, of peace and joy that would come to the people of God. And so this news comes to us in the context of a Bible story. But once again, I must ask you to suspend your belief, your understanding of the Christmas story that you know so well. We must look at this and we must understand the shock and awe that would come with this announcement. It is news that is unbelievable. And this morning, I would like us to see how unbelievable this news is that we might have a fire lit in our hearts that as we believe this news that is beyond belief, That it gives us a passion to see this good news take root in our own lives and to also see it brought throughout the lands. And so this morning we will see three aspects to this news. The first thing that we will see is an unexpected visit. Unexpected visit from an angel. And then second we will see an angelic announcement. The angel does not just come for a visit, he comes to announce good news. And then we will see the response of faith that comes from a young girl. A response of faith that is available to you and to me. Well, let's begin then by looking at this unexpected visit. Now, the first thing we have to understand is that this comes at a place and a time that we have not expected. We have come through the years to just know the Christmas story by heart. We know where the shepherds sit. We know where the angels go. We know what the timeline is. But you have to understand that this is a most unexpected visit. The angel comes to Nazareth, to Galilee. Now remember where the angel just was. This is 
perhaps the most extreme contrast from the last announcement. We might have expected an angel to come and to bring good news from God in the temple itself, right outside the Holy of Holies, to a priest who is about to offer the evening sacrifice. If there were any place God were going to make an announcement, that's where we would lay our money, would we not? Jerusalem is the capital of the people of God. It is the place where the temple in all of its glory is found, where all of the glorious sacrifices are, where there are priests without number, it seems, so many priests that there are not enough sacrifices to be done for each priest to work. And now here the scene shifts. The camera pans and it goes very far away from Jerusalem. I don't mean in terms of geography. I mean in terms of world and life view. I mean in terms of our expectation. It swoops out to the countryside. To a little place called Nazareth. Now I know Luke calls it a city. But but I think the reason he calls it a city is there's no good Greek word for a town. It's not the Houston of the age. It's not even the Katy of the age. It is a little, small town, a little bit bigger than a village, out in the countryside. And it is a place that does not exactly have a great and glorious reputation. You will recall that later on in our Lord's ministry, people look and they find out that He comes from Nazareth and they say, Oh my, is there anything good that can come out of Nazareth? You need to picture a backwater place in your mind. A place that people make fun of. Perhaps some back area of Texas where everyone is known as a redneck and a hick. Where insults are hurled. Where no one wants to go. Where everyone as they drive through prays that their car does not break down. That's Galilee. That's Nazareth. And yet it is the place where the messenger of God comes down and breaks forth with good news. Let me ask you a question. Is this how you would change the world? Would you go to an obscure place with a bad reputation and choose that to announce your change of the world? I don't think so. Because I think if before all of this build-up, I had taken a poll of you all and asked, how do we change America? I would get a large percentage saying, we need to go to Washington. We need to change the Congress. We need to change the courts. We need to go to Austin. We need to go to the seats of power. That's where we can make the world a better place for the church and for Jesus. How unlike us God is as he goes to Nazareth. There's a second aspect to this visit that is unexpected. And again, we must suspend our belief and understanding in the Christmas story. Because you see, this is not the Mary that we expected. Because if we are honest with ourselves, the Mary that we expect looks about 30 years old, with a halo over her head with a wonderful visage on her face. She's sort of part philosopher queen, 
part model of modesty, part wisdom and sage. Mary, of our thoughts, is well prepared. It's almost like she's looking at her watch waiting for the angel to come. The Mary that we know through fable and story is almost non-human, isn't she? She is the one who is full of grace, as the mistranslation goes. She is the one who has grace to give to others, because you see, of course, she is sinless, because The church throughout the years decided that the only way that Jesus could be sinless is if his mother was sinless. And so somehow, in some miracle, God had preserved Mary sinless till this point. Sounds like good theology until you ask one simple question. What about Mary's mother? What about Mary's mother's mother? What about Mary's mother's mother's mother? You see, Mary is... Not one who is sinless for some theological reason. We also think of Mary as this kind of person who is not that engaged with the world. She comes, she listens to the angel Gabriel. She gives birth to Jesus and then somewhere she gets put, I think, in a closet. She doesn't interact with anyone. And we get this theory of Mary's perpetual virginity from it. No more children in her life. A marriage that's not really a real marriage. This is our picture of Mary, but this is not the Mary that we get here from Luke. The real Mary that we get from Luke is a young girl. High school girls, you're too old to be married. Mary is most likely 13 years old. That was the age typical of a betrothal, of an engagement. It was an engagement that went a year long. You were betrothed to a man, and as a period of of testing and preparation for marriage, for one year, you prepared for marriage. But it was a lot like marriage. You could commit adultery during this engagement. As a matter of fact, if you committed adultery during this engagement, you could be stoned to death by the law. Mary is a young girl thinking and dreaming about marriage. You all do that, don't you, young ladies? I know the young men don't. There is no young man that says, oh, I'm going to have a red bow tie with my tuxedo when I get married. Oh, and the flowers. No, no, they don't do that. They don't do that the month before they get married. They just say, what do I wear? Where do I go? What do I get to eat? But young ladies dream about the dress. What will the veil look like? How long will it be? What will the train be like? What will the bridesmaids dress be like? Oh, what will the lighting be like? Oh, what will the flowers be like? Oh, what will we have for centerpieces? I can't possibly imagine. This is what's going through this young girl's head. She's dreaming of a marriage. Now, you have to also understand that she is a poor girl. She is uneducated. She is out in the country. She does not live a life of leisure. 
She has calluses on her hands. She works hard. She's dreaming and thinking of a family. That's who Mary is. And she is out in the middle of nowhere. No one knows who she is. And if I may say this, no one cares who she is. She is Mary, the young girl. Are there times when you feel small and insignificant? That no one pays attention to you like they should? That maybe God has looked at you and His gaze has overshot you and gone to someone else? Does that make you feel like you have no hope? Like you have no purpose? You see, Mary here is for you. Mary is poor, she is uneducated, she is young, she is unvalued, she is not known. And this is how God chooses to change the world. And we see it in the greeting that Gabriel gives to Mary. He says, greetings, O favored one. And what he means is, rejoice, you who have been blessed with grace by God. You see, the verb there is a passive verb. Mary has done absolutely nothing. She does not deserve favor. She is the recipient of grace. God has broken into her life and is changing her and changing the world. You see, Luke wants us to see that the focus is upon God here. But even though Mary is a nobody to the world, she's a somebody to God. And she understands this, because when Gabriel comes down, she is thoughtful. She hears this, and she wonders, what does it mean that I have found favor with God? What does it mean that the Lord is with me? And she is troubled at the saying. She is agitated, almost like we pictured Zechariah. She might be shaking a bit. She might be fiddling with the hem of her dress. You see, she is experiencing an angel that has broken into her life. Why me? She might say to herself, why would I be so favored? Why didn't the angel go visit Caiaphas' daughter, the high priest? She's rich. She's powerful. Why me, O Lord? Mary is thoughtful. And she wonders why this unexpected visit has come to her. And the answer is then found in the angelic announcement as the angel continues on. And he says to Mary, he says, Do not be afraid, Mary. What wonderful words of comfort. This girl who is out in the sticks, who is young and is not known by anyone, the angel of God calls by name. Do you know that the Lord God knows you by name? If you have put your trust and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, His names are engraved. Your names are engraved on the palms of His hands. The angel calls her by name and he comforts her. He says, do not be afraid for you have found favor with God. 
And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. Now, imagine that you are Mary receiving this. It would be something if I walked up to you and said, Oh, you've got some good kids there. I think your kid is going to turn out to be something special. What would happen, moms and dads? Grinning from ear to ear. Yeah. Wow. That's good. I can't wait to see what he can do. But you see here, the angel is announcing the birth of one who will be great beyond all measure, great beyond all comparison. You remember that when this same angel said to Zechariah that his son would be great, he would be great before the Lord. In verse 15. Jesus is great without any qualification. Jesus needs no comparison. There is none who can be compared to the greatness of Jesus. He is the one who is to be the Savior. His name means this. Yahweh saves. This is absolutely unbelievable. Imagine you are Mary. You're shaking your head. I didn't know this. I'm with an angel, and now I'm going to have a child, and now the child's going to be great? Wow! But he's not just going to be great. He's going to be a king. Do you see this? He will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Wow! Just when you think you can get your arms wrapped around one thing, the angel hits you with another. He'll be a king. And not just any king. A king that will fulfill prophecy. A king that will fulfill the prophecy that God himself gave to our great father, David when he said to David that there will be one who will rise up and reign on your throne and your throne will reign without end. Mary, this is your son. Not just great, not just a king, but the king. It's absolutely unbelievable. No one can replace him. There is no end to his kingdom. The world will stop with your son, Mary. Because if we think about it, isn't that the way of the world? A king here, a king there. A kingdom rises up, a kingdom falls. A new kingdom rises up. Even Israel's history would be full of this. And now the angel announces an end to kingdoms and an end to all kings in the person of Mary's son. It's absolutely unbelievable. But wait, there's more. He's not just great. He's not just a king. He is divine. He is the Son of the Most High. This is who Mary's son is. He is the one who will be born, conceived by the Holy Spirit. Born of God. 
begotten, not created, as we have sung earlier this morning. That's unbelievable. There's never been anyone like this. Not Moses, not Elijah, not David, not Solomon, not Abraham, not even Adam. That is who this son is to be. There is none like him. And Mary asks this question, how will this be? I'm not even married yet. In essence, she asks, who will be the father? And the angel answers, he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And here we see one of the great truths of the Bible. It goes by the name, the virgin birth. And what it means is, is that God is the Father of the Son. That Jesus is truly man and truly God. That He is not just a grand teacher, not just an excellent example of humanity. No, He is very God of very God. Only the virgin birth says that Jesus is exactly whom the Lord needed to redeem His people. Fully man, child of Mary. Fully God, the second person of the Trinity. Only in Jesus Christ can those qualities meet, those two natures that are necessary of what we need. One who would be man and who would experience our sufferings and who could die on our behalf. And one who would be God who could bear up under the wrath of God and who could make atonement for eternal, infinite sin. This is who Jesus is. But it's unbelievable, isn't it? Have you ever tried to explain to someone the person of Jesus Christ? And what it means that He has two natures, but one person. That He's not part God and part man, but He's fully God and fully man. And have you ever had the experience of explaining that to someone who doesn't know, and they look at you and their heads kind of cock a little and they go, Are you touched in the head? Really? You see, it's unbelievable. We must understand and engage the unbelievable nature of this news that it is God breaking into history in a way never before seen and never seen since. The story is a story of amazement. Now, we've seen an angel break in unexpected. And we've seen an angel deliver unbelievable news. And we have to understand how unexpected and unbelievable this is in order to get the power of the response of faith. It is one thing for you to nod your head in the midst of a Christmas Eve celebration with carols in the air and candles to be lit and joy to be given, and to say, oh yes, Jesus came and was incarnate. It is another thing in the midst of poverty, in the midst of 
namelessness, in the midst of hopelessness, in the midst of misery, to hear this unbelievable news from God and to say, yes, I believe. For you see, that is Mary's first response of faith. It is a willing obedience. The angel lays all of this on her. Can you imagine how her head is spinning? She's been told unbelievable things about her son. Unbelievable things about his conception. Unbelievable things about God. They're so unbelievable that the angel has to say to her, you must understand, nothing is impossible with God. And her response is so simple. She says in verse 38, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Now this behold could also be translated another way. Yes. What you said, angel. Yes, I agree. I'm God's servant. You see, the answer is so simple. Because she has heard the word of God and believes. Now remember here, she has nothing to look at, to see, to handle, to touch. She has nothing to go on to believe that this is true except the bare word of God and the promise of God. And the angel roots this promise in history. Even this phrase, nothing will be impossible with God, is virtually verbatim what God said to Abraham and Sarah in Genesis 18. Word for word in the Greek translation. Would Mary have known that? Maybe. Maybe she would have been taught that at home. She certainly would know the story of Abraham and Sarah. And she knows that God keeps His promises. She knows that He has kept His promises. And she relies upon this. Now, notice Mary asks a question in the midst of this, just like Zechariah did, but it's a very different kind of question. You remember what Zechariah said? He asked, how will I know this? God, how do I really know what you say is true? Mary asks a very different question. She says, how will this happen? I believe you. Tell me how it's going to happen, because I don't see it, but you said it. It must be true. And you see, she sees the power of God and she believes upon it. Do you believe in the power of God? Do you believe that nothing is impossible for God? Then I'm going to ask you to think about something far more difficult for you now than would Jesus be born of a virgin? To be God's Messiah. What's really hard for you to believe is, is the impossible marriage I have too hard for God? Are my impossible children too hard for God? Is my impossible job too hard for God? 
Is my impossible illness too hard for God? Is my impossible life too hard for God? Is the sin that is so black in my life too hard for God to forgive? If Jesus can be born of a virgin because nothing is too impossible for God, then the answer to all of those questions is nothing. No sin, no relationship, no family, no sickness, no depression, no anxiety. Nothing is impossible for God. Do you believe that? Do you grip on that? Are you willing, like Mary, to live your life in obedience on that? Because you have to understand, Mary was willing and she was obedient. She trusted in God. Do you have that kind of trusting faith in God? You know, Hebrews tells us in chapter 11 that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And so you see here, Mary has this vision, this understanding that even though she cannot see how this is going to happen, even though she doesn't really understand, I mean, do you really think Mary understood more than you and I do what it means to have the the Spirit of God overshadow you and you conceive a son? When you can explain that, come and explain it to me, because I don't know exactly what that means. I can't get my arms around it. I know what it doesn't mean. I know sort of how to describe it, but I can't give you a medical definition of that. Mary was in the same place. And so she seizes upon this without any hesitation. She trusts God. Now, think of where this places her. Moses couldn't do this. Well, you know, Lord, you sure you can't find somebody else to lead your people? Gideon couldn't do this. Who am I to judge your people? I'm the least of the least tribe. Jeremiah couldn't do this. Oh, God, please pick someone else. I'm too young. But Mary immediately seizes upon the promise of God and trusts God. And you have to understand that this was not easy. You see, I know what is going through your heads as I described the impossibility of things that God does. What you are doing in your head is what I am doing. You're saying, well, yeah, nothing's impossible, but my situation, ooh, that's difficult. That's, there's going to be a lot of pain involved there. I don't know how it could possibly be. I don't know what's going to happen to me. Ooh, I don't even want to go there. Understand what was happening to Mary. When she said yes, she had to be willing to give up Joseph. Because the perfectly reasonable reaction of her betrothed groom would be to stone her to death. Or at the very least, to put her away from him forever. For her to never be married in a society that judges everything by marriage. For her to be ostracized Forever, for her to have everyone in town look and point at her. She had to be willing to give up her reputation, to give up her family, to give up everything that was dear to her, and she trusted God and said yes. But we know the rest of Mary's story too, don't we? She had to not only give up all the things that she knew she had to give up, she would have to give up things she didn't even think about yet. 
Do you think she calculated through? Well, let's see. There's going to be that very uncomfortable journey to Bethlehem. And then, of course, they will have to flee to Egypt to get away from Herod. And then, of course, there'll be all the difficulties in the town as people make fun of us because our son is a prophet. And then, of course, there'll be all of the the horror and the sorrow of the death of our son. No, she didn't even know what was coming at her. And you see, you don't either. And God doesn't call you to think through all of the permutations of all of the things, of all of the sins that need to be forgiven, of all of the heartache that needs to be patched. He calls you simply to a childlike faith and trust in Him. And in the end, isn't that better? Isn't it better just to trust Him and let God work out all the details? I have a, a very good friend who gave me wise advice every time a problem had come up in his life and we were concerned. He would look at me and he would say, listen, that's not my problem. That's God's problem. When we do that, our focus changes. And faith takes root and is real in our lives. And we begin to trust God. That is what it means to be a Christian. It means to trust God with the big things and to trust God in the little things daily and to trust Him no matter what anyone else thinks. No angel is going to come and make an announcement to you today. But you are experiencing right now the call of the living God to faith. From His Word. As surely as if an angel were speaking it, as the Scripture speaks, you must hear, you must obey, you must believe, and you must trust. That is where hope is found. That is unbelievable news. That you must believe by God's grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given to us this news, the news of the Savior. And we thank you, O Lord, for the way in which was recorded the experience of Mary. That we might know, O Lord, that we are never too small, never too poor, never too uneducated, never too unknown to be the objects of your grace. Lord, make your grace real to us in our hearts, even this morning. This we ask in Christ's name. Amen.